Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T, and I hope you guys are having a great day. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Let me just ask you that after listening to or watching this video, if you learn anything, if you appreciate my work, please just smash that like button and subscribe to my channel. Now, let's dig in. Today was a stunning day in Alec Murdoch's trial for the deaths of his wife Margaret and son Paul, and that was for several reasons. First, the judge said that he will allow evidence of Alec Murdoch's financial crimes to be presented in this case, and that's because those crimes tell a story about Murdoch's financial situation at the time of the crime. Murdoch was in dire financial straits. He was feeling very threatened about having his financial crimes exposed. The second reason court was so stunning today is that Alec's mother's caretaker was on the stand. And she's the one and only person who saw Alec Murdoch right after the time when the prosecution is saying Paul and Margaret died. Alec's mother is Miss Libby, and she suffers from a severe case of Alzheimer's. Her caretaker's name is Michelle Shelley Smith who mostly goes by Shelley Smith. I'll be referring to her as either the caretaker or Ms. Smith. The caretaker is a key witness in this case because Alec Murdoch drove to his mother's house on the evening of a crime. That evening, the caretaker was on her night shift from 7.45 p.m. to 8 a.m. Her job as a caretaker, which she'd been doing for the elderly Murdoch since 2019, was to sit in a recliner next to Miss Libby's bed as she slept and to keep an eye on her. Now, before I get into her testimony, I just want to briefly review the timeline of June 7, 2021. At 8.29 p.m., the sun set. At 8.44 p.m., over at Alec Murdoch's house, known as Moselle, victim Paul Murdoch made a Snapchat video of his friend Rogan Gibson's dog. Paul was down at the family's dog kennels. Rogan Gibson was text messaging with Paul back and forth at that time. Three voices were heard on the Snapchat video. Paul's, his mother Margaret, and another male voice that two of Paul's friends have stated 100% belongs to Alec Murdoch. Then, right after roughly 8.50 p.m., Paul and Margaret went silent forever. Paul suddenly abandoned his ongoing conversation with Gibson, and Margaret did not respond to Alec's sister's text about her father, Randolph Murdoch's declining health. Randolph was in the hospital that night. At 9.06 p.m., Alec Murdoch, who told the police he was in the family home at Moselle before this, and he was not down at the dog kennels with his wife Margaret and Paul, starts his car and drives to his parents' house, which is called Alameda, and it is a 18-minute drive away Along mostly dark roads without streetlights, Alec went to Alameda, per Alec, to check on his mother, Miss Libby, 
because Randolph was in the hospital. Let me share a portion of a video made by Vinnie Politan of Court TV of him driving the route from the Murdoch's Moselle Hunting Lodge to Alex's parents' house called Alameda. It gives you a very good idea of how long it takes to make that drive and how rural a portion of the route is. And once you go through that main gate and you hit Moselle Road, Alec Murdoch says he made a right-hand turn, which would be the opposite direction of the murder scene, made that right, and then drove to his mother's house. We're on our way to the Almeida property, and you've got to take a road called 63. More of a main road here, um, but still no lights. So it's going to be dark when he's doing all this. The sun set about 829 that night. But here's the thing. This is the quickest route to his mother's house, and it's about 18 minutes from his property. So 18 minutes there, 18 minutes back. How much time did he actually spend with his mom? As we get closer, things are getting much more residential. There's some businesses and an actual streetlight with a town. As we're driving towards the Almeida property, we are driving parallel with the train tracks. And this seems to be the area of this town uh, that was developed. This is the Almeida property. That's where Alec Murdoch said he went. It's his alibi. He went to go visit his mother inside that home, right on the other side of these train tracks next to a major highway here. The question is, what was he doing there that night? Because he did go there. Was he just visiting his mother or was he getting rid of some evidence and cleaning up? That's a question for the jury. But the bottom line is, when he left the home, he went down this road back to the highway for that 18-minute drive back to the scene of the murder. Alec would have arrived at his parents' house at about 9.30 p.m. Per Ms. Smith, the caretaker, Alec called her during her night shift at Miss Libby's bedside, sometime between 8.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. The caretaker could not recall the exact time. Alec told the caretaker that he was just outside the front door and he wanted to be let in. The caretaker went to the front door, opened it, and let him in. She said it took her about five minutes to get from Miss Libby's bedroom to the front door. Thus, Ms. Smith saw and spoke to Alec Murdoch right after Paul and Margaret are believed to have been killed. Of course, Alec would say that he wasn't aware of their deaths because he'd been in the Moselle home and then drove to Alameda without seeing anything or hearing anything down at the dog kennels. The caretaker said Alec was wearing shorts, a t-shirt, and cloth Sperry-style shoes. Those are like boat shoes. She said she didn't see any blood on him, on his hair, on his clothes, or on his shoes. She also said Alec did not leave any blood behind on the bed when he left. Although no one said it, from today's testimony, it sounded to me like it was unusual for Alec to call his parents' house phone to ask for the front door to be opened. Per the caretaker, when Alec went to his mother, who was sleeping and again is suffering from Alzheimer's, he sat on the bed next to her, held her hand, and said, Hey, Mom, how you doing? Per the caretaker, Alec's mother was not aware that her son was there. And as Alec sat next to his mom, 
He looked at his phone and said nothing else to her. The caretaker also described Alec as being fidgety, and she said it was unusual for Alec to show up at his parents' house after dark in this manner. Per the caretaker, Alec stayed at his parents' house for a total of 20 minutes that night. So if Alec left Moselle at 9.06 p.m., then he would have arrived at around 9.30 p.m. Thus, if he stayed 20 minutes, he would have left at 9.50 p.m. An 18-minute drive back to Moselle would have gotten him there roughly at 10.08 p.m. Alec dialed 911 at 10.07 p.m., so this timeline roughly works with that call. After Alec left his parents' house, the caretaker received a call telling her that Alec's wife and son had been killed. The caretaker then received another call, this time from Alec's brother, Randy Murdoch. Randy told her that Alec and his brother, John Marvin, as well as Alec's son, Buster, and Buster's girlfriend, were coming to Alameda to spend the night there. And that's what happened. They all showed up and they all slept there. Three days later, on June 10th, Alec's father, Randolph, died. Randolph had actually attended a meeting with Alec and other lawyers a few hours before his death. So Randolph died knowing about Margaret and Paul's death and also about Alec's possible financial misdeeds. Three days after Randolph Murdoch's death, his funeral was held. That was on June 13th. After the funeral, everyone drove back to Alameda for an outdoor gathering. A large tent had been erected in the yard and food was served. At some point during that gathering, Alec Murdoch came into the room where the caretaker was sitting with Miss Libby. That day, Alec said to this caretaker, and I quote, I was at the house for 30 to 40 minutes, end quote. What Alec was saying to the caretaker was that he was at his parents' home on the night his wife and son died for 30 to 40 minutes, and it wasn't a question. It was an emphatic statement. The caretaker, as she was recounting this on the stand in court, began to cry, and to me, she looked fearful. At the same time, Alec Murdoch was staring at her with what can only be described as an intense glare. Take a look. When the prosecutor asked Ms. Smith why she was crying, she said, "'Cause they're a good family. I love working there. They're good people.' and I'm just sorry all this happened. Back to the day of Randolph Murdoch's funeral. After Alex said that about being at the house for 30 to 40 minutes, he left Miss Libby's bedroom. After Alec left, the caretaker was upset, so she called her brother, who happens to be an assistant sheriff in Varnville, South Carolina. Three days after Randolph's funeral, Alec showed up once again at his parents' house, this time at 6.30 a.m., which was apparently highly unusual. This time, he did not call the house ahead of time. Instead, he knocked on an exterior wall by his mother's bedroom window. The caretaker let him in once again. 
I can only imagine how afraid this poor lady was at that point. People dying left and right. On this day, the caretaker noticed a bruise or cut at the top of Alex's forehead. This time, the caretaker said Alex Murdoch was carrying what looked to be a blue balled-up tarp in his hands. Alec came in, said nothing to the caretaker, went straight upstairs, and then left soon after. She said she later saw this blue item unfolded on a chair upstairs, but it was gone when she returned to Alameda the next day. Note that in September of 2021, so about three months later, the police would find a blue rain poncho at Alex's parents' house, and its interior was coated in gunshot residue. Alec told the caretaker that he knew that she was getting married, and he mentioned how expensive weddings are. Per the caretaker, he told her that he would help pay for the wedding. While on the stand, the caretaker said something like, Alec offered to help her pay for the wedding because he's a good person. Even though she said that, it could also be interpreted as Alec trying to perhaps offer a financial incentive for the caretaker to stick to his timeline. As we consider this woman's testimony, we have to consider that A, she works for the Murdochs and likely needs the money. In fact, that overnight caretaker gig is her second job. She also has a full-time job working at a local high school as a food service worker. And B, she was likely well aware that the Murdoch family was a very powerful legal dynasty in Hampton County, South Carolina. She grew up in Hampton County. She knew about the Murdoch's power and their reputation and how the family ruled over the prosecutor's office for three decades. Note that Alec also mentioned to the caretaker that he was good friends with the principal at the school where she worked. Alec said this in the context of, if you need any help dealing with your job over at the school, I can call my good friend the principal. But to me, this feels like another subtle manipulation. Was Alec possibly threatening the caretaker as in, I can talk to your boss, and you could lose that job in a second. The problem with this blue tarp item is that the caretaker only saw it crumpled up. She did not see it as a blue rain poncho. At least that's not what it looked like to her. So although this rain poncho was found at Alex's parents' house, the prosecution seems unable to fully link it to Alec. It's unclear if the jurors will be satisfied that what the caretaker described as a blue tarp was actually this blue rain poncho. Now, while the caretaker was a very strong witness in many ways, when the defense cross-examined her, they brought up statements she'd made to law enforcement back in June of 2021, statements that conflicted with what she said in court today. Ms. Smith had to admit to the defense that she did not mention the blue tarp-like item in her interview with state investigators on June 16th of 2021. In fact, 
It wasn't until she was in a car accident in September when she mentioned it to a police officer who was there, and he worked in a different city. That officer is the person who contacted the state investigators to share this important information, and the officer told them that Ms. Smith had told him that Alec Murdoch came over the night of Paul and Margaret's deaths, and it looked like it had a gun wrapped inside of it. But on the stand today, Ms. Smith insisted that she never said that. Jim Griffin, one of Murdoch's defense lawyers, said to her, So you didn't tell the officer that he came over and you couldn't tell, but stated it looked like a rifle? Ms. Smith responded, No, I said it looked like he was holding something. I did not say it was a rifle. Yikes. The caretaker, per the defense, also told some of the investigators back in June of 2021 that Alec was at his parents on June 7th for 35 minutes, not 20 minutes. I'm thinking that perhaps she was intimidated back then right after Alec spoke to her, but later she realized that she needed to tell the truth, especially when she was on the stand. You could tell that this lady feels very conflicted. She doesn't want to upset the Murdochs, but she's also an honest lady who wants to do the right thing. She doesn't want to perjure herself. Her brother's an assistant sheriff. You know, she has to do right by the truth. It's odd to think that the police officer who responded to her accident would have written down a note about this blue tarp thing and that Ms. Smith said that Murdoch brought it over on the night of the crime. Like, I don't see him writing that down, making it up. It sounds like she probably did say that to him. And maybe today in court, she was too afraid to admit that in front of Alec Murdoch and his brother and the other Murdochs who were in court. I fear the jury is going to find this caretaker not fully credible. I guess they're going to have to judge which parts of her testimony they believe and which parts they feel like they can't really trust. The next significant witness was a female sled technician, a crime scene investigator named Jamie Hall. She's the person who prepared evidence for gun residue analysis. Hall tested the blue rain poncho, Alex's green cargo shorts, his white t-shirt, and a pair of tennis shoes, which, by the way, were bright yellow and red and in no way resemble cloth, Sperry-style shoes like the caretaker described Alec wearing on the evening of June 7th. Hall described Alec's white T-shirt as smelling freshly laundered, which apparently is not typical for clothing brought to the lab for analysis, Hall said clothing usually smells slightly musky when they get it. She also noted small reddish-brown stains on the white t-shirt, but she could not 100% identify what those were from. All I can say is that this case is a wild ride, and every day in court brings its own bombshells. That's all for today. Till the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Hey, do me a favor, smash that like button, subscribe, leave me a comment, 
and I'll see you next time.